This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome to a week before Christmas. Last week of school, parents are feeling that. Teachers, educators are feeling that. I hated, hated actually uh, Christmas holidays. Loved it in elementary school. Didn't like it at, and, and actually liked it in university because you do end up writing your first semester exams. And they all get done around, you know, the 22nd, 23rd. I remember one that I had at 6 p.m. December 23rd exam in third year of university. And you're just, you're crestfallen when you see the schedule. You didn't get emailed it back then. I'm a little older than getting an email, only a year or two, uh, getting an email schedule about your exam times. But you'd go see it posted and you'd be like, are you kidding? And then with all your friends, you'd be like, when are you done? The 16th? Great. Good for you. The 18th? Almost as nice. Me, 23rd at 6 p.m. And in high school, you got to study over the Christmas holidays. I'm telling you, I wish someone had told me that when I was in high school. Um, But you got to study for January exams. Those come fast and furious. Like there's this boulder you keep, you know, you're pushing it out of the way. And then all of a sudden it reappears when you go back to school in January. And you're like, there's a chemistry exam in eight days. Nobody told me. No, we did. You just had 17 days off where you didn't open a book over the Christmas holidays. So that time is coming uh, for high schoolers alike and educators also. But we're done school and there's just no way to keep people's attention span in those uh, educational atmospheres over the next three or four days. It's fairly obvious that that will be the case. So uh, six degrees right now, up to a high of five a little bit later on. Let me start here, and we're going to take you and play you some rather descriptive audio from a mall in Ottawa, and that happened on Saturday. And we're going to play you some rather descriptive audio from something that happened yesterday afternoon just at Eaton Center. But it raises the question, activism. Pretty good, right? You like to be active. Maybe you're physically active. Maybe you're mentally active. You, if you're listening to this show, I'd like to think you're mentally active and you want to know what's going on. We, we don't have 28 straight minutes of rock and roll coming up for you. We're talking about issues and things that matter to you, save you money in your wallet, etc. But then there's political activism. And what's going too far? What is activism? When does it cross lines? When does it cross boundaries? We've seen a lot of people be active about human rights. We've seen people be active about, you know, even the climate. I think there's pressing issues that are in our world. And then we feel, well, it's my duty to try and get attention for my cause or redirect how government is paying attention to the cause. Like, that's why people protest, right? Well, I used to think that was the case. And then I saw some of the other developments on the weekend. And I've seen some of the uh, quote-unquote activism in the last nine weeks or so. You want to make your opinion heard. You want to get out and set step forth and say, this is the corner I'm in. And you can influence wider public opinion. But I will tell you that it's become fairly obvious. And in the last 15 years, especially now that everything goes online, everything is viral, everybody has a camera, that... Most of the protests that are demonstrations, most of the protests that are boycotts, most of the protests that get in the average human being's ability to live, love, and be happy. It's on the U.S. Constitution. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Sometimes that's all any of us want, as active as we might be. I might believe in something. I do not want to get in your way practically of believing what you want to believe. I don't. I don't want to slow you down. I don't want to prevent you from uh, accomplishing a task. 
And this logic, really simple logic, has been lost, if it ever existed, on the people doing what I saw over the weekend. You have absolutely kicked your cause down the road in the opposite direction. You have threatened people. You have gotten people's way. You have made moves to boycott businesses. Why? Those businesses are seen as pro-Israel or they are Jewish. We wouldn't allow what we saw over the weekend, which I'll be more descriptive of in a minute. We wouldn't allow it with any other religion. We wouldn't allow it with any skin color. We have allowed it to go far too far in the last few weeks. And those people that sort of tiptoed up and said, oh, what's wrong with boycotting this place? What's wrong with voicing our opinion? You said that a week and a half into this conflict, and now we're where we are right now, where people are getting screamed at when they're sitting on Santa's lap. What happened over the weekend on a mall in in Ottawa on Saturday? Well, here it is, and I will tell you that you're going to hear a uh, woman documenting well, Santa's getting kids exchange, which Santa does, right? You get a good, you're lucky to get three or four minutes with Santa. It's like really the, the, the time of a hit record where you'll be on Santa's lap, get to tell him what you want. Mom and dad get a photo. I wouldn't have given that up for anything. I wouldn't have, tri- I would have absolutely, because you go and park your car and it's busy and you wait for an hour and you put your kids on Santa's lap. You get a nice photo, you send it out to your relatives and your loved ones. That's what we do. And I wouldn't want that to stop. But in a mall in Ottawa over the weekend, parents were simply trying to get to the mall, maybe get some shopping in and do this. And you'll hear chaos and disorder and threats and people wearing scary masks. Like I'm not talking your typical KN95 mask. I'm talking frightening masks walking right at three and four and five year olds with bullhorns. Here's some of what happened at the mall in Ottawa. Does that sound like silver bells to you? Does that sound like Santa Claus is coming to town? It probably doesn't. You're going to lose support. You have already. When you get violent, when you get threatening, when you're banging drums in five-year-olds' faces, and maybe grandma and grandpa came to the mall so they could see their granddaughter or grandson sit on Santa's lap, have a nice lunch in the food court, shop for some presents for people you care about and love. How far can people go? Before we step in, I'll use the A word. Where are I'll use the AF word, the armed forces. A lot of people said that to me over the weekend. How far does this go before the government steps in? If they're even paying attention and says something about this, this happened at you at uh, Eaton Center yesterday. There were protests at Yorkdale Mall over the weekend as well. But yesterday you'll hear 
what I would describe as a Hamas supporter, you're not pro anything when you're talking like this and acting like this, threatened to kill a police officer to his face. I've watched the video eight different times. I talked to somebody who was there who reached out via Twitter DM, and he was about 20 feet away at the time, but got a little bit closer to five, six feet away and said, there was no doubt about the words. There was no doubt about the intent. The concept was pointing the finger at one particular police officer, a black man, and saying, this is what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to put you six feet in the ground. He was basically like doing that kind of don't touch me, bro. Don't touch me, bro. Um, but that's what happens because the police were surrounded at this particular point. I get the situation they're in, and I bet you they had a pre- pretty sleepless night last night as well. Here's some of what you heard. Um, here's some of what was heard by passersby at the Toronto Eaton Center yesterday, just up the street from where we are. You come near me, I'll put your leg down on the floor. I'll lay you sleep. I'll put you six feet deep. I'll put you six feet deep. It's really awful stuff. And here I go, Freedom Convoy parallel time. The Freedom Convoy protesters, and by four weeks, something needed to be done. Ottawa needed to return to normal, get some semblance of sanity, allow people to go to Rideau Center, allow people to get to school unhindered. The Freedom Convoy men and women, the gentlemen and ladies, were arrested for standing around, loitering in essence. They didn't actually threaten police officers to put them six feet into the ground. What are we doing? How long do we do it for? This stuff cannot fly now. You can make the case it wouldn't have flown 10, 15, 20 years ago. This is weakness, and they'll keep pushing. You see weakness in somebody in the schoolyard, in life, in a domestic relationship. You don't stand up for yourself at some point. You'll keep getting pushed. Where are our leaders? Where are those people? Where's the mayor? Where's the police chief? Where's the prime minister? Where's Premier Doug Ford? All valid questions right now. 617, I'll take a text message or two. Get your reaction to what you may have seen, especially if you were out shopping. I'd love to hear from you over the weekend. And are you hesitant now to hit malls, to hit stores within the next week? This is an epidemic. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. So let's get the scoop from our our friend, economics professor at Toronto Metropolitan University. He is Eric Cam. It's great to have you on. Well, thank you very much. And season's greetings, as they say. As they say. And uh, your workplace up near uh, Young Dundas Square has a new square name. Can I, uh, in a few minutes, can we talk about that? Because that's really interesting also. I'm all yours for the next eight minutes. <laughs> it won't be that long. Uh, well, let's try six and a half and see where it, uh, where it goes. Uh, when I say that about Tiff Macklem, um, those are encouraging things. We're, there's a lot more encouraging data in the United States and a lot more of a flirtation from the decision makers about lowering interest rates fast. Do you think we go in step with them or will our cuts be a little slower? I think they're going to be a lot slower, Greg. And the problem right now is not to be gloomy at the end of the year, but if you look at all of the macroeconomic indicators, I mean, the ones that really matter, they are all either stagnant or negative. And I'm talking big things, Uh, the level of household indebtedness, unemployment to job vacancies, CPI, if you look at food and shelter, these things are all negative right now in terms of growth. And real GDP 
is stuck at zero. So you look at all of that and you say, what's going to happen? Are we going to go into a recession? Well, I think we are. So you say, is the Bank of Canada going to follow that with a cut in interest rates? Normal theory would say yes, but this Bank of Canada isn't normal. And that's not a shot at them. It's just revealing who they are. They are on a mission to get the inflation rate to 2%. And they're not there yet. So I don't see any reason to believe rates are going to fall until at least, at least the third or fourth quarter of 2024. And why I'm sad about that is because the real cost this year, in one word, has been affordability. Mm -hmm. I think economic health, I'm biased, is linked to physical health and mental health. And I think it all comes back to affordability and that calm that you get when you know you can feed, house and clothe your family. Yeah. And unfortunately, right now, for a great number of Canadians, that level of affordability is unachievable. So I think just from reading, talking to a few other people, the U.S. may cut their rates as of March or April. You think we won't be anywhere close to that? No, I don't. The United States has more impetus to do it because they right now have a slow but growing economy. Our economy is nowhere near growing. Plus, Jerome Powell, who runs the Fed, doesn't seem to have this holy war attitude about any specific level of inflation, whereas we know that Dr. Macklem is hooked on the 2%. So given the numbers that I just gave you and some of the stats that I just gave you, you would expect the rate to fall. But in reality, if it falls before July, I owe you an adult beverage. Well, and some of that factors in because we want all these housing builds to work. There's a big federal housing announcement in Mississauga today. Like it's seven days before Christmas Day. And uh, Sean Fraser, the housing minister for the federal government, uh, who's drawn some applause because there's finally been a bit of a wake up call. And, and he's been a good front facing housing minister, Eric. Um, you're not going to be able to build like you hope to build. Companies are going to hesitate. They're going to back off when rates are in the five, five and a half percent raise, uh, range for for actually building the properties that they then want to sell or rent out. You know, it's a two edged sword and neither edge is good. It's going to be harder to build. Where are you going to build? And in a country where 60 to 70 percent of mortgages from coast to coast have not been renegotiated since the prime went crazy and went up to 5.25, once again, I don't see any good answer to the housing problem, especially when, Greg, let's throw in that mortgage payments and interest on mortgage payments right now is the leading cause of inflation in the country. So to me, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. And the carbon tax as well. I know you were able to talk about it with Roy Green over the weekend. I heard a good chunk of your segment. Um, it isn't the be all and end all, but you mentioned that sort of mental weight on people's shoulders thinking I'm paying this this extra tax. I'm not sure where it goes. I'm not sure how it prevents carbon emissions. It's a frustrating thing that uh, obviously there's 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 a real marriage between the federal government and this tax. They will not budge on this one. They're not going to budge on this one. And it makes me so angry as a Canadian and as an economist, because the only thing net zero right now is economic growth. It is the wrong policy at the wrong time. We need to be increasing people's disposable income and low lying fruit like the carbon tax should be scrapped. Maybe not forever, but at least until we have some economic growth, Greg. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, what is Young Dundas Square, uh, moving to a name called Sankofa Square. We saw this Thursday at Toronto City Council. What we didn't know then, and I don't even think we knew it when we left the air, our show anyway, on Friday, was they're taking a word from an African tribe that um, is is known for the Aiken people of Ghana, 
where there was an apology given in 2006 because the Aiken people, where Sankofa comes from, were pretty strong supporters of the slave trade. In fact, if we go back a few centuries, it's going to be hard to find a society that wasn't involved in some capacity of the slave trade. And many people feel like replacing Henry Dundas's name with um, active participants in the slave trade and a word that meant something to them has a sense of irony to it, Eric. I'll put it that way, doesn't it? You know what? It has a ridiculous sense of irony. I'm getting a little bit tired of trying to rewrite history. I think we have one bigger problem right now than whatever you want to call the damn square. You said what Young and Dundas is. Let's talk about what Young and Dundas was. It used to be vibrant. It used to be pretty. It used to be people gathering safely. Now it's a mess. It's where you go to shoot up, get mugged, or see things no people should see out in public. So how about we worry less about the name and more about cleaning the damn place up since it's at the intersection, the center, the core of the city and the country. Got a little bit of time as well. You saw some of the scenes at uh, at the malls, especially yesterday at Toronto Eaton Centre. A police officer was threatened. We played the audio a little bit earlier on. We'll circle around again and do it at 7 o'clock. I don't know what the limit here is. I just know you're not going to be able to advance your cause. Um, you're not going to win the public over. It's fine to be active. It's fine to walk the streets. It's fine to build signs and, and want people to know about things you're concerned about, Eric. Um, this this kind of tactic is uh, it's gutter stuff to me. This isn't fine. This is rebel rousing and this is hooliganism and it's wrong. And I don't care where you come down on the war in the Middle East. My position is pretty obvious, and I think a lot of people have taken a position, but I have a more important position, humanity. How do you do this? How do The police cannot let this happen. Talk about strong mayor powers. We need strong police powers. Get people out of the malls. Get people out of the way of young kids going to see Santa Claus at Christmas. I won't even get into the fact that we're shutting down businesses, ceasing business at a time when we cannot afford to do that, as we talked about in the first five minutes. Yeah. But you shouldn't be terrorized or afraid to go to a mall. And yes, to the brilliant people who have covered their faces because they're cowards, nothing more, nothing less. You think you're improving your cause to shut down a mall or scare people or threaten people? All you're doing is pushing your cause aside and more and more people are going to wake up and go, you know what? These people are fools. Toronto police do us all a favor, get rid of them, help everybody, help the whole cause, no matter where on the spectrum you fall. Yeah. Any kind of threats or violence aren't going to change uh, uh, people's opinions. And you're going to identify less with the cause, with the group, with the humanity of the group when these kind of things happen. I got to go for now. Thanks so much for the time today. It's always an honor, Greg. Happy, healthy uh, New Year and Christmas to you and your family. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I mentioned uh, the autopsy of Friends actor Matthew Perry. We all remember where we were the Saturday night it was announced that he'd passed away. And we weren't sure or not, given he struggled so much with drugs, so much with alcohol, whether he had stayed clean or not. Well, the autopsy reported he died of the acute effects, quote, end quote, of ketamine. We wanted to find out more about ketamine. What is it? What's it supposed to do? Kyle Greenway is a staff psychiatrist at uh, Montreal's Jewish General Hospital and an assistant prof as well at McGill University in the Department of Psychiatry. Kyle, thanks very much for making time for our show today. Hi, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, tell us about ketamine and where you see it's used. And obviously, let's talk about the benefits of why ketamine would be prescribed to somebody suffering um, from uh, from any element of depression or uh, or mental fatigue. 
Sure, yeah. So, I mean, ketamine is one of the world's strangest medications. Uh, it's been around since about the 1960s, and it rapidly has become uh, on the WHO list of essential medications for exactly the reason you were talking about, for anesthesia. That's been long, long going since mostly the Vietnam War when it was given to almost every American soldiers to use uh, for their buddies if they got shot. And then about 20 years ago, we discovered that it has remarkable antidepressant effects when given at a very low dose, about 10 times lower than anesthesia. Uh, and it's effective within a few hours for some people or a few weeks for others, which is much faster than conventional medications. And it can be effective even in people who have failed uh, to respond to sometimes dozens of other treatments in psychiatry. So it's a pretty remarkable drug. Yeah, I spoke to an, an emergency room doctor yesterday who documented that it, it does a lot to provide pain relief. But one of the biggest things it does yeah. well, Kyle, is it it doesn't cost a it doesn't cause a dramatic drop in blood pressure for patients. And that's a big factor when you're trying to you know get somebody back balanced. Exactly. That's why it's used so much in combat settings. Every other anesthetic mm -hmm. works by slowing the brain and slowing the heart. Whereas ketamine seems to almost do the opposite, where it speeds up information uh, processing in the brain so much that people end up with a little bit of a psychedelic effect at some doses. And as the dose gets higher and higher, the information is so chaotic in the brain, you lose consciousness and you get anesthesia in, in that kind of unique mechanism. What are ketamine's risks? Well, the major risks, are, and, and we see in this, uh, in this really tragic story of Matthew Berry, mm -hmm. I would say the major risk in psychiatry is abuse. Uh, because it is a drug of abuse in some areas much more common than can uh, Canada. It's not very commonly abused uh, in Canada for the moment, but uh, it has an addictive potential. Um, it is used uh, sometimes in increasing doses, so there's a tolerance potential. And in, in cases where it is abused, uh, especially street ketamine, people can end up with bladder dysfunction that's permanent, something called ketamine bladder, where there's literally fibrosis of the bladder. People can end up uh, with cognitive changes, uh, lots, of, lots of really challenging problems. It looks as well um, like it just it, if it numbs pain, that's a great risk, isn't it? In a case perhaps like Perry's where we don't know all the details, but the, the one story I saw uh, and it was documented a couple different times, uh, Kyle, was that he hadn't had it prescribed for a good 10, 11 days since last seeing his doctor, yeah. which suggested to some that perhaps he was using it recreationally just to have that numbness every single day. And that's where that's where a patient can get into trouble. Correct. Well, you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely a physical numbness that is almost universal. And, and many people actually feel almost like they have out-of-body experiences, like very detached from their body. And for some people, that's how it's used. But interestingly, in other, in other cases, people actually report much more like sort of the psychedelic uh, effects where people might en enhance their emotions for a moment. They might feel more pain temporarily. And, that, and that's actually why ketamine is used as an adjunct for psychotherapy in some, in some uh, cases. So it's, it's kind of paradoxical, but definitely in terms of the physical effects, you're right. One of the major risks, especially if people are using it recreationally, is they can literally lose control of their body to the point even of drowning in a, in a shallow pool of water. I think that's what I look at, Kyle, with this story to, to put a bow on our conversation is the idea that this is a very helpful drug. Um, and so it'd be a shame if it got a bad name because it's such a, you know, such an A-list star. And now it's associated with his death because it's doing far more good than harm. But like anything else, it's, it's got to be taken in moderation and it's got to be regulated. I would very much agree with that. I, I think one of the, the, the uh, things that need to be kind of flushed out a little bit more in this story is it does sound like Matthew Perry was receiving it medically, yeah. uh, maybe with a good amount of supervision or maybe with inadequate supervision. There is a whole lot of uh, private ketamine clinics in the United States, especially, 
where they will essentially provide ketamine to anybody who can afford it, whether or not it's really indicated or safe in that case. And so for a normal person, and especially in our clinic, for example, if you have a history of, of substance abuse, which is certainly mm-hmm. the case for Matthew Berry, uh, he would have been excluded for fear of causing an addiction to ketamine, which may or may not be what happened in the end. Yeah. Hey, Kyle, great, uh, great analysis of, uh, of an important drug, but obviously uh, one link to this uh, terrible tragedy. I appreciate you coming on and, and, and setting some things straight for our listeners today. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Kyle Thank Greenway you. is a staff psychiatrist uh, at Montreal's Jewish General Hospital, assistant prophet McGill University as well. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Dr. Tracy Viancourt joins us from uh, Ottawa University. She specializes in youth mental health, bullying, and violence, and is kind enough to get up early for us now. Dr. Viancourt, I love having you on our show. It's been a while. I appreciate you coming on this morning. Hello. You probably remember hearing about this case originally, and I think we've had at least uh, one conversation about this particular case. Um, I think it's also frustrating for all concerned that our legal system is so slow for the girls, the families, the, the victim's family. Would you agree? It's slow, but for a purpose, right? So that it sticks. Um, So we don't want to be impulsive. And then at the end of the day, when, you know, justice should be served, it's no longer served. So I think it it serves a purpose, but it's it's quite difficult, especially given how severe this case is. When we first heard about the alleged involvement of 8 teenage girls, most of us were absolutely shocked. I guess we... I guess we figure that boys would have done this. That's a common thought. Were you as shocked 12 months ago when you found out about it? It, it was uh, atypical for girls then, and it would be atypical for girls today. Um, and I now, you know, I give lectures around the world on violence, and I use as an example that, you know, there are exceptions to the way girls behave. They typically use more indirect forms of violence and aggression. Um, and, but I'll use this, I'll cite this case as one example. That, that just goes against the norm. Um, exactly. 100% against the norm. When you're looking at um, girls v. boys now, my recollection is even in something as pedestrian as elementary school, boys were going to fight. We'd end up grabbing each other and punching each other and teachers mm-hmm. would have to break us up. The odd time it did happen with two girls in a fight on the playground, two girls on a fight on a school bus. It was almost like it was bigger news for the very reason you laid out. Has Have things changed that much in 30, I'll give it away, 30, 32 years since I was in elementary school? Ooh, time's flying by. <laughs> um, it hasn't. It really still looks like the same pattern. There's a, there's a development of normative aggression. So basically in early childhood, it's physical aggression used by girls and boys. It persists until about age five, and then it gets replace for almost all kids um, with this thing called indirect aggression, except for boys continue to use verbal and physical aggression across the lifespan, but girls invariably only use indirect aggression and they use so they use it until the day we die. So it's kind of an interesting thing because we see this developmental pattern of aggression with this gender difference that I just explained, and it's universal. So I could go to Norway and I'll see it. I could go to Japan and I'll see it. Wherever I'm going to go, it's going to be the same um, developmental process. So the fact that we have these two girls doing something a little bit different um, is mm. concerning, but you're right. Like boys will be fighting in elementary school and girls will not be. Dr. Tracy Viancourt is our guest from Ottawa University. To wrap on that and, and actually bring up again things from, from our youth necessarily, 
now there's social media. Now there's influence. Mm-hmm. Now um, I, I want to know if that sort of factors in a little bit more. This case would have been, of course, remarkably notorious in 1986 or 1993. But I'd like to believe that parents of teenage girls can watch this case and take a look and then and then turn it inwards if they're raising their own teenage girls and look for signs and symptoms to make sure that their girls are never involved in anything like this. Correct. Correct. Although it's going to be difficult to, to, you know, find signs and symptoms because this is so atypical. Um, I don't know if you recall Arena Burke's uh, case that happened um, yes. probably close to 25 years ago. Anyhow, so that again, like the fact that we still can talk about it in that one occasion, um, that one incident, sorry, um, speaks to the salience of it. I think though that with social media, one of the things is that the influence of the peer group is beyond just the walls of your school. So when we were in school, Greg, you know, it was about our school, but now kids will hear about things from schools, neighboring schools. These girls were not even from the same school, which speaks to probably the role of social media. So they were probably talking to each other through uh, Mm. chats, online chats and the like. Yeah, uh, all that stuff would have been happening. Yeah, the idea is they weren't in the same school. They didn't grow up in the same street or the same subdivision. They found each other online, got together downtown, and obviously just some some terrible things ensued. And I mentioned when when we were getting you set on the phone, you know the story as well as I do. But for our listeners, the idea there were two other violent incidents earlier in the night, which is what helped the cops trace where these girls went and what they did that evening. Mm hmm. You know, it, it, I like, I mean, obviously I don't like that this happened, but it's it's interesting. I like that it's the salient because it speaks to the fact that we've done something right in terms of socializing girls out of using physical aggression. And we need to harness that knowledge to apply it to yeah. boys who are more likely to use physical violence. Um, so, but, but certainly something went wrong here with this group of girls. And it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this and learn from it. Dr. Tracy Viancourt, always enjoy our conversations. Thanks very much for making time. I really appreciate it this morning. No problems. Take care. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. And yesterday uh, was this at the uh, Eaton Centre where there is not even a veiled threat, but it's an obvious physical threat. Uh, towards a Toronto police officer from a man wearing uh, a mask that conceals pretty much everything but eyebrows and eyeballs. Here's some of what was said, and you'll hear him say, I'm going to put you six feet into the ground. You come near me, I'll put you lay down on the floor. I'll lay you to sleep. I'll put you six feet deep. I'll put you six feet deep. So you can hear the guys commenting on everything that happened there. Um, it's beyond uh, concerning. Uh, it, it makes some listeners sick to their stomach, and I understand that aspect, too. Let's speak to former uh, chief of police for the city of Toronto. He is Mark Saunders. Mark, I know we we, uh, we called you up and wanted to get your thoughts on this. Thanks for being available to our show. I, you know I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Greg. When you see this video, hear this audio, what's your instantaneous reaction? or instantaneous being a former cop. First thing is kudos to those police officers. You know, they keep trying to get goaded over and over again, but through training and understanding de-escalation, they saw the bigger picture and let it go. On the other end of it though, what we watched was a coward who was wanting his 15 minutes of fame and he never got it. And you know what, to be quite frank, it was disgusting in light of everything that's going on right now. And you have these protests, 99.9% of them are not gonna take it to that level. But, you know, every village has to have an idiot, and, and he was the idiot of the day. 
Is there um, a, a cause for that threatening human to be arrested for threatening police and repeatedly at that? Should this person have been arrested? Is there a case for it? Well, you know, I, I don't know what was said just prior to the cause that. And, and you know, with these sound bites, that's what happened. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, the activists, they'll, they'll, they'll carve out what they think is relevant and put it out there. But I'll tell you certainly that there will be consultation. And uh, this person, I do not think, would be hard to identify. I just don't think it's in his DNA not to be identified in the, at the end of this game. So I think he'll be identified. And I think that they'll consult with Crowns on what the whole scenario was and see whether or not it would warrant anything. But, you know, it, it does get into the slippery slope. And the police service, I'm, I know, will heighten their awareness and, and at the debriefs of these types of things, make the men and women aware of the type of behavior that might take place and, and what might or might not be done. And, and they'll definitely add the resources in certain areas where they feel that certain things may or may not occur. Mark Saunders is our guest, kind of to join us on uh, 640 Toronto and on Toronto Today. I've seen it done in a few U.S. cities, and I know that some businesses are starting to do it, especially the big drugstores, some of the big shopping chains. You can't wear face coverings indoors. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this person's not terribly worried about uh, contracting flu, RSV, or COVID-19, Mark. I'm going to say that. Do we need laws to some extent to be enacted here where you can't wear face coverings inside in a scenario like this? Uh, we're in Canada. We we crossed the road on a green light, Greg. I, I don't see that foreseeable in, in any time soon. Um, but you know what? Um, there are ways of doing investigations, and I, I don't want to make bad guys any smarter. Um, oh, yeah. I, I do think in my heart of hearts, uh, identifying this idiot won't be a, a tough one. The tone in the city right now. How do you how do you view it? You talk to enough uh, current co- uh, former colleagues and and people that uh, I'm sure are retired, much like yourself, from the law enforcement industry. What do they tell you? Okay. I, I don't think it's, it's just cops. It's everybody. You know, yeah. I'm talking to friends and it's just, it's not feel like a holiday season right now. Uh, a lot of noise going on in the world and it, it's had impact on our city. And, and uh, you know, a, a lot of things have been said and the Jewish community is, is, is scared, like genuinely scared, not just words, but through actions as well. And, and it's bothersome. It just does not feel very good right now. There's a lot of people, I, I say this, I, I, I hear you based on your uh, acumen and, and your uh, experience. There are certainly people texting saying not kicking them out of the mall at the minimum, um, not arresting them. It's seen as uh, restraint for sure, as you document. Some are seeing it as weakness. I mean, that's how the pop, some of the public perceives this, and they think they're going to keep pushing. It's a little like a kid, right? You don't, you don't punish me. You don't send me to my room. You don't uh, prevent the ice cream for dessert. Um, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing around the house. Is there any aspect to that that you nod and go, I get how people feel? Well, you know what? That in life, when we oversimplify things, we, we can have these discussions. Um, we have to get to the how. And if anyone can tell me how to kick 10,000 people out, uh, then, then it warrants a decent discussion. At, at the end of the day, law enforcement, I think, is doing a great job. They are not becoming the news. And, and that video is a classic example of how they could have easily become the news. They are not becoming the news. They're highly trained. And, you know, there's always the other day. But this is a worldwide issue right now. And when you compare our city to what's going on in other cities, we're still ahead of the curve. Not saying that we're going to rest on that. If things have to be done, they will be done. And the Toronto police are making arrests, but they're doing it at the right time in the right place. They are not making that the focal point. 
I know before you go, and and I do appreciate the time. We we had a great conversation about a month ago about recruitment um, to to become an officer, whether it's in Toronto or another big city or or even OPP RCMP. Um, do videos like this does even just us having this conversation, and I'll call myself out for it. Does amplifying examples like this make somebody who's 17, 18, 19, a male, a female, it doesn't matter, say, I don't ever want to be a cop after seeing that video. Do you worry about recruitment with what we've got in our water supply right now? No. You know, the ones mm-hmm. that have the passion for, for the calling will, will answer the bell. It'll, it'll, it'll make them even more want to become law enforcement to do the right thing, to help, to, to be the person in those decisions, to make the right moments, to make that organization look great. Um, the ones sitting on the fence, yeah, they, they may not. It might be better for them to have a desk shop, but there are enough people in the world right now that will still answer the calling to be law enforcement in, in, in this country anyway. Hey, Mark, I appreciate you weighing in and getting up for us. Always special when you do. Thanks so much for the time today. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Take care.